congregation. This sermon was written by Pastor Eric Mordyke and it's titled, The Most, God, the Most High God's Long-Suffering Towards Nebuchadnezzar. Beloved congregation of the Lord, how often do you greet a press conference with joy and excitement? When a press conference from the top government officials is carried live on radio, do you make sure you stop everything to listen attentively? When a press conferences are held around political elections, do they excite and encourage you? When new bills and measures are announced, do they give you joy? Maybe sometimes there are some elements or measures that are good news. Yet often you hear them regardless of which political party is behind them. And you wonder, what kind of dream world do you think you are living in? It is, sure is not a real world. Daniel chapter 4 asks our attention for a press conference, or as Nebuchadnezzar called it, a decree from the throne. This is perhaps the most unusual press conference ever, and it is a wonderful real-world declaration that is gospel news to the church in exile, for it is not about church-oppressing measures, but it is about the glorious, sovereign God who works His will and does whatever He pleases in heaven and on earth. This press conference is called to glorify the living God for His sovereignty. Would it not be like a dream come true to hear world leaders speak this way today? Can you imagine Trudeau, Ford, Putin, Trump, or Biden talking like this? Can you imagine Hitler speaking like this? They are, of course, widely different characters, and the point of lining them up like this is not to tar and feather them with the same brush, but simply to point out that world leaders, whether they are bloodthirsty tyrants or simply people who pay no attention to the living God, don't speak like Nebuchadnezzar does here. And if they did, they would not decide the things that they do or say the things they do. This press conference in Danielle is like a dream come true. In this case, the dream world is the real world, and the view of the real world is just an idle dream. For in the dream world, God is showing Nebuchadnezzar what the real world is. Because Nebuchadnezzar has been living in a dream world and needs to wake up and see reality. And in the, and in the wisdom of God, it pleases him to use a dream that is real to pop the soap bubbles of Nebuchadnezzar's dream world. In God's tremendous long-suffering, he speaks yet again to Nebuchadnezzar. And in this chapter, God finally breaks through to his heart. The theme, the most high God's long-suffering to Nebuchadnezzar, and we have three parts. Number one, a startling beginning, a revealing dream, and an overruling message. 
Congregation, unlike the first three chapters of Daniel, which seems to happen within a few years of each other, Daniel 4 happens to some 25 or 30 years later. In 562 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar will die. So this may well have happened around 570 B.C. And we also know from Babylonian writings that King Nebuchadnezzar had a period of illnesses where he was unable to reign, close to the end of his reign. This press conference, this press release, is meant to be an official word explaining that a period of time when Nebuchadnezzar was in the psychic ward, as we would say today, this press conference has a startling beginning. Do you like to read a book or a story where the end is already told before you begin? Imagine the book started by saying, this is how it ended. Now let me tell you how it began. It would almost seem to spoil the whole effect if you can solve the mystery even before you read what the mystery actually is. And yet, Daniel 4 is not really the beginning of the story. We have been following Nebuchadnezzar in the opening three chapters already. We know of his brilliance, but also of his murderous rage, his egomania, and his vicious, brutal acts. We have read about his statues and his fiery furnace. We have seen him order death of all his wise men. We have... Would, would such a man give out a press release and greet and a degree to the whole empire praising the God of Israel personally? How can such a man start talking so humbly about the glory of God when the only thing he has cared about until now is his own glory. Listen to what he's saying in verse 2. I thought it is good to show the signs and the wonders that the high God has wrought unto me. The word sign here means a miraculous event. The, wonder, the word wonder means something with wonderful effects. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, God has worked in my life, he has done miraculous things that have a wonderful, wonderful, profound effect on me. I now praise his kingdom as the one that endures forever from generation to generation. He is no longer talking about God and other people. This is a, a personal testimony. He is no longer saying that the kind of things we have heard him say earlier. Your God is the Lord of Lords, a king who reveals secrets. No longer does he say, no other God can deliver like this. Let no one speak against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now he is saying, this God has done great signs and wonders towards me. His dominion, his sovereign rule, is everlasting. His kingdom is forever. Startling testimony. And what a press conference. Can you imagine how it would go today? Nebuchadnezzar would come up to the podium. Everywhere cameras were, would be flashing. Shouting questions are being hurled at him. Oh king, how are you feeling now? Have you recovered your strength? 
Are you able to rule your empire again? What caused this illness? How did you recover? What will be your first order of business now that you are back? He waves silence. And before he says anything else, he says, I would like to begin for the record. The high God has done great signs and mighty wonders towards me. How great he is. How great and immovable his kingdom. Now let me tell you what he has brought me to bow before his sovereignty. What does it take to bring such a man to such a testimony? Something miraculous. An act of God. The sovereign God. In Proverbs 21 verse 1 says it like this. The heart of kings is in the hand of God. Like rivers of water, he turns them in whatever direction he wills. The same God who traces the courses of rivers, planets, and oceans has traced a new channel in which the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar now runs. That channel is praise for God's glory and sovereignty. The king opens with praising God, and before he tells his own story, the startling beginning shows just what a radical change has come over him. This is the hand of the Almighty God, Nebuchadnezzar gives this God public glory. And how does God bring a world ruler, the most powerful man in the world, to such a point? And there's only one way in which this can happen, whether you are a proud empire or a homeless beggar. God must grip you of the things you once glorified in. He has to humble you and bring you to an end to yourself. He has to chop down the tall tree of your pride that you realize your creatureliness and sinfulness before you. The God of glory must eclipse you. Now the expression being brought to an end of yourself has taken a lot of baggage, especially in its experimental circles. It has become a buzzword or cliche that has at times been overgrown with human misconceptions. It has become and a convenient excuse that sounds pious, but it is actually presumptuous and dripping with pride. I'm not allowed, I'm not allowed to believe in Christ right now. I should put no effort towards serious repentance, because that is free will. Don't call me to repent and believe. First I have to be brought to an end of myself. First I have to experience a sovereign work of God that lasts for the right moment or the right time or reaches the proper depths and then and only then can I, can I repeat, repent and believe in Christ. Do you realize how arrogant that actually is? You are telling the living God how he has to convert you. You are describing to him how he has to act and you have the nerve to set aside his own word to do so. Did you or did we not learn from the canons of Dort that the call of the gospel God seriously calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ and seriously promise eternal life and the rest to all who believe? Did we not learn that God is pleased to give his life to all who comply with his command and instructions. Acts 17 verse 30 says it like this. God 
now commands all men everywhere to repent. Every second in which you delay is an act of arrogant, proud, presumptuous defiance of the sovereign king of the universe. Don't mumble about being brought to an end of yourself and as an excuse for your disobedience and defiance of his sovereign word. You are statue building like Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 3 when you do so. Yet, having said all this, there's a beautiful, profound, biblical way in which this expression being brought to an end of yourself does describe what happens to Nebuchadnezzar here. We need to listen carefully to God's word to see how God does so and what it means for God to do so. And let us pray that God will clear away the wild growth of our own ideas and leave behind the simple clarity of his own word. Let us pray that God will, through the preaching of this chapter, do the same glorious work in those of us and who still desperately need it. Nebuchadnezzar tells us how God did it towards him. God does so by, part two, revealing a revealing dream. Congregation Daniel 4 gives us flashbacks to Daniel 2. And once again, the royal bedroom of Nebuchadnezzar is invaded by the living God. The palace was the most secure fortress in the, den, in, in the known world. And the bedroom was the most secure of all. For that is where the king was most vulnerable. But God breaks through the security perimeter to, dis, to disturb Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar was at the beginning of his reign, and he had to navigate plots and enemies within this empire. Now, according to verse 4, he is at rest in his royal palace, flourishing or prospering there. Nebuchadnezzar is able to enjoy the kingdom, glory, and power that are his. He feels like everything is going his way, Going according to plan, the threats are gone. He has won the key battles both politically and militarily. He is the most powerful man in the world without rivals. There is one problem. Nebuchadnezzar does not acknowledge or glorify the God of heaven who put him in this position. Oh, he has been impressed for the moment several times. He has seen the wisdom of God. God's young servants who was better than all of his wise men put together. He's had to admit that there is no other God who can reveal secrets in the future like the God of Israel. He's had to admit that no other God can deliver like the God of the Jews. But that was all then. This is now. Those impressions have faded. Life goes on as usual. Nebuchadnezzar simply ignores this God in his daily life. Do you see how staggeringly blind and corrupt the human heart is? People today sometimes say things like this. If I saw three men coming out of a burning fiery furnace alive and unharmed, I would believe. And if I saw someone tell me in a direct word from God, I would have believed. No, no, you wouldn't. Nebuchadnezzar didn't. Is it now 
The wow, it, it is not the wow experiences that changes hearts. It is not amazing things happening outside of you, signs and wonders and outside of you that change hearts. A miracle like the burning fiery furnace could happen on live television and be broadcasted all over the world. And though it might make some people superstitious, no one would truly believe in the living God only by hearing or seeing such an event. Miracles outside of you are no substitute for the miracle that must happen inside of you. The fact that you think such experiences can change as people shows that you do not know the spiritual corruption, blindness, and depravity of the human heart. No amount of temporary impressions or experiences will make any real difference. We don't just need the right information. The truth by itself is not enough. We need something deeper. We need changed hearts. And that is why for 25 or 30 years after these earth-shaking events, there is nothing worth reporting about the spiritual condition of Nebuchadnezzar. He lives the way he wants to live. He follows his own agenda, does his own things. He is not unusual. There are people who receive profound impressions by encountering the living God among his people. They are gripped, excited, or alarmed by what they hear. But after a while, the impressions fade. Something on the inside of them does not want these words to be true. So they dig in their heels, refuse to give it a place in their lives. They say things like, I'm glad it works for you. Religion is okay if that is your thing, but that is not my thing. It does not work for me. So they just, so just leave me alone. Let me live my life my way. Imagine renting a vacation cottage online and then arriving only to discover that it is near a large factory with a steam hammer that is running 24 hours a day. The first night you can't sleep because of the ringing blows. The second night you do manage to doze off several times, but by the end of three weeks, you don't even hear the sound anymore. You sleep all night. God has been ringing Nebuchadnezzar's bell at the beginning of his reign, but even though Nebuchadnezzar interacts often with an explanatory man of God like Daniel, life goes on as usual. Calvin is right when he says, when God wishes to lead us to repentance, he is compelled to repeat his blows continually. But now God, in great long-suffering, is speaking to Nebuchadnezzar yet again. What a profound mercy this is. God has every right and every reason to leave him to himself, to allow him to harden himself to destruction. And if anyone deserves destruction, it is this proud, vicious tyrant. But God speaks to him again and again, and he warns him again, gives him the opportunity to repent. Don't shake your head at Nebuchadnezzar. After all, Nebuchadnezzar here simply illustrates what is true of us, B.C., that is, before Christ, before conversion. Do you ever stop to realize that every church service is proof to you also of God's long-suffering? 
Maybe you have been powerfully gripped at times by God's word. It has made impressions on you. And you have seen the beauty, the life of someone who walks with God. But it has not changed you deep down. You still live your own way. You ignore those times when the words of God demands, in the name of the King of Kings, that you repent of your sin, forsake your sin, and serve the King wholeheartedly. You simply can't be bothered to take Him seriously. You have forgotten most of what He has said to you. Through His Word, the very fact that you still live in your sins proves that you despise God. His word means no more to you than an ad that you tuned out. I once saw a teenager walking around at a camp in Ontario with this slogan on his t-shirt. Your lips keep a moving, but all I hear is blah, blah, blah. Those who ignore the word of God are saying this in God's face. Fearful pride on your part is dangerous pride. You live in a dream world if you think the living God is just going to accept your sins as long as you continue this way. But God speaks to you today. Oh, he does not send you a, a premier servant like Danielle. Oh, he, does, he simply speaks to you through your pastor or who labors over the world and preaches it with average gifts. You might not even like certain things about him or do not really have a close, close personal relationship with him, but God does speak to you through him with all his weaknesses and shortcomings. He gives you a huge gift, and yet you despise the God who speaks. Listen to how one commentator named Davis says, we all are a bunch of Nebuchadnezzar clones want to call our own shots, direct our own show, punny as it is, and seldom, except in a moment of rare sanity, stop to consider how foolish our passion for self-defecation is. But this afternoon, God is speaking especially to you. You proud, different sinner, indifferent sinner, he is displaying his long-suffering towards you, giving you an opportunity again to repent. Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and is troubled. He went to bed thinking all is well and wakes up deeply disturbed. He does what the rich and the powerful always do. He starts ordering people around and sends them scourging for help. He is decreeing this and that. All the wise men of Babylon come in, the magicians, the astrologers, and the Chaldeans. In fact, he makes it easy for them this time. He even tells them the dream. He calls them all, all except Daniel and his three friends. Daniel is only called for all when the other options have failed. Nebuchadnezzar is afraid to hear what Daniel will say unwilling to, unwillingly to go that route unless all else fails. After all, God has continually been sending the message to Nebuchadnezzar, you are not the big man you really think you are. My servants are wiser than yours. I reveal secrets that you don't or can't understand. 
I deliver when you boast no God can. You see, Nebuchadnezzar has set his mind on what the Bible calls flesh, his sinful nature. He's living like a practical atheist. God is irrelevant. He can't deny God exists. But he seeks his wisdom and counsel everywhere except God. He, has showed, he should have known better by now. We have been down this road before with him in chapter 2. They could not help him then. They were exposed as empty frauds. Then. Why does he expect them to help him now? Because to those blinded by the love of sin, the counsel of sinners is always preferred to the counsel of the godly. Those who can tell him the horoscopes or perform magic are more appealing than those who speak with wisdom of the God who is not impressed with any human glory or power. Nebuchadnezzar's psychophants all start by saying, O king, live forever. The living God does not talk this way. His servants call for repentance and point out sin. They don't ask what do you want or tell you what you want to hear. They tell you what God wants. Isn't this what the worldling does now? But also the worldly church goer? You turn for wisdom, counsel, advice to those who have nothing to say about God, sin or grace. That way you don't have to repent or face your sins and shortcomings. If someone can give you a pious or a superstitious excuse to keep you at God's arm at length, so much the better. The latest rage is called non-directive counseling. Don't tell people what to do. Just help them understand themselves better and connect with them their own inner wisdom. Be a life coach, but don't tell them what to do. Let them decide for themselves. Isn't this why people turn away from the gospel? Don't be surprised if someone seems to show some interest or is somewhat impressed and yet fades away. And don't be surprised if your witness is not immediately accepted. And if it seems people will accept any and, answer, and every answer except the word of the living God. But don't give up. For the blindness and the hardness of the human heart is so great that God must batter that heart down with repeated blows before we learn how useless human help and wisdom are when you stand before the King of Kings. Don't be surprised as parents when godly counsel to your children does not produce godly fruit. Don't stop giving counsel, but pray all the more to God who pierces the hearts of the rebellious and his long-suffering. Young people, there are various ways in which you can take the easy road you know. You find a church where you are not confronted with your sins. You can find someone who will only tell you simply, smile, God loves you, and seek to pump you up with the wow experience without dealing with the sins of your heart. You can drift off somewhere to be comfortably unconverted to use religion as more no more than empty superstition that way you don't have to dig 
into God's word or to take it seriously. You can find the easy road and still say things like, but they all are Christians too. I won't for a moment pretend that God does not have his people in various places. It would be dishonoring to him to deny this. And yet, you can find easy culture Christianity rather than tough biblical Christianity and put your conscience to sleep with religious cotton candy that is sweet to your taste, but it is not nourishing or life-changing. Nebuchadnezzar finally can't get around it anymore. He realizes that whatever answers his wives been come up with that are not true. So finally, he calls for Daniel, but he makes sure to call him Belshazzar, verse 8, as if to say, I lump you in my wise men. I lump you in my wise me. I named you. You are a master magician, and yet Nebuchadnezzar is also compelled to admit that Daniel is different too. The spirit of the holy gods is in you. You could translate, the spirit of the holy god is in you, though at this point Nebuchadnezzar is desperately trying to hold on to his own view of the world. Nebuchadnezzar also realizes that Daniel is not troubled or disturbed by secrets. He sees what they mean. By the way, what a beautiful testimony this is about what a child of God ought to be like. The child of God does not need to fear mysterious events, for they know every event is in the hands of the sovereign, faithful God. And therefore, to quote Psalm 46, we will not fear, though the earth be moved, Though the mountains dash in the heart of the sea. You see, Nebuchadnezzar does not really need the wise men. It is pretty obviously what this dream is about. He describes a magnificent tree. And do you know that in Babylon or Babylonian literature, the king was pictured precisely in this way as a large spreading tree that provided shade, shelter, and food, and security to all kinds of living creatures. God uses the language of his times and of his own culture. This tree is also described as Nebuchadnezzar sees himself. This tree grows and becomes so strong that it was visible in the whole world. There's no one else like Nebuchadnezzar in the world. He has defeated them. We don't read about how many other trees were pushed over or denied sunlight, rain, and nutrients from the ground. We don't read about his oppression and violence. He thinks of himself as having the right to exist and as being the blessing to the world. And if the vision had stopped in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar would give a hearty amen and be called a press conference to celebrate his glory and his power. The wise men could have interpreted this dream, but they were either afraid to, Neb- to tell Nebuchadnezzar what he needs to hear, or do not want this God of Israel to have any influence on their king, so they'd ignore everything that does not fit with their view of the world. Worldly counsel will always leave God out of the picture 
even when God is staring them right in the face. Isn't this the perfect summary of modern atheistical literature out there? There is no God and I hate him. Signed, Richard Dawkins. There is no God and I can't stand him. Signed, Sam Harris. How blind and hurt a human heart is. But the dream does not stop here. A watcher, a holy one, comes down from heaven. He shouts out, chop down the tree, cut off its branches, shake off its leaves, scatter its fruits, chase away the animals from it, but leave a stump in the ground. Then it becomes clear that this is actually about a man. For we read, Take away the heart of man and give him a beast's heart until the time appointed by God is finished. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand of the word of the holy ones for the Most High who rules in the kingdoms of men. Do you see why Nebuchadnezzar does not want to call for Daniel? Deep down, he fears and suspects what the message will be. And does not want to hear it. But he must hear it. You must hear it too. A hard-hearted, rebellious, defiant sinner. You must know that the living God of long-suffering speaks. Which brings us to part three. An overruling message. The dream of Nebuchadnezzar even declares its purpose in verse 17. To an intent that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will and sets it up over it the basis of men in fact the words of 17 are the whole theme of the chapter and are repeated at key points in every section of this chapter Nebuchadnezzar you think you rule you think you live in the kingdom of me you don't the living God will rule over you. He is in charge. He is sovereign, not you. He put you on the throne. He kept you on the throne. You are a self-made man. You are not a self-made man, Nebuchadnezzar, but a man God made as in every ruler. You must give account of your life to him. He can chop you down as easily as he raised you up. Let those in position of rule, power, and influence, including the most power and the, or if, if influential people in the world, as we like to call them, know that their power and influence is not the proof of their superiority. For God does not give kingship and rule to the best, but to the basest of men. You could translate, to the lowest of men, or even the crooked and the corrupt. And this year, past year, a political election has been reached in conclusion in the USA. This is a perfect summary of what's going on. God sets the lowliest of people, the basis of the kingdoms of men, not as proof that he does not rule, but as proof that he does rule. His kingdom does not need great, wise, noble men to thrive, expand, and do well. In fact, more often than not, his kingdom has been at its best when weak and low, humanly speaking, and yet victorious by his grace, presence, and power. 
This is why he put his people in Egypt and then brought them out by triumphing over Pharaoh. This is why he puts his people in Babylon so that through a captive teenage slave, God can speak and reveal to himself this proud tyrant. Jesus Christ was humanly speaking born under the foot of Roman tyranny. Even his birthplace seemed fixed by Roman decree. But God was making sure through that oppressive decree that Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem like he decreed hundred years before. The kingdom of God does not need the approval, support, and encouragement of the rulers of this world. They are but the basis of men anyway. God rules and overrules them for his own glory. He raises them up as instruments of his judgment, chops them down when they get too big for their breeches. And if in long and if in great long suffering he tolerates them for a while, then see it as bringing glory to his long suffering rather than as a failure of his rule. He will overrule them for his glory and well being of his people. He always has, and that is not going to change just because of Trudeau, Biden, Trump, or Clinton are in power. We are stopping here on purpose this afternoon. God is sovereign, and his sovereignty is reason to praise and worship him. He rules and overrules in this world. It is his world after all, and he has not Abandon it. He will speak. He will humble the proud and tumble the and topple the corrupt. Those who boast now and arrogantly despise him, he will bring low. He is not asleep on the job, no matter who is in power. Centuries after Nebuchadnezzar was being taught this fundamental lesson by the living God, a lowly ordinary stricken teenage woman said the same thing. She had just been visited and told extraordinary news. You will be the mother of the Messiah, long promised by God, of whose kingdom there will be no end. Her response was to magnify the Lord and rejoice in her God, her Savior. Why? She tells us, us in Luke 1, verse 51 and 52. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their heart. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. This is God's final word in Christ to all the ends of the earth. God has Nebuchadnezzar in his sights in this chapter. God is aiming just to do that. This means we can write at the end of the story, even if we never knew it before. The most merciful thing God can do to his sinner is to knock him down so that he will finally turn upwards towards God. The transformation is beginning that will involve stripping away 
everything Nebuchadnezzar glorifies in. After all, as long as we are at ease in this world, we are not ready to examine our own hearts or change our ways. God must shake you up, cause you discomfort, humble you, and distress you through his word applied by his Holy Spirit or by events of life applied by his Holy Spirit. And I pray that God will erupt in the same way in the lives of those of you who are still proud, self-serving, defiant God-haters. You might not even realize this about yourself or want to admit it. But it is true. You are not yet saved because you are not yet low enough. You still think too much of yourself to become a child of God. God will not save both you and your respectability. You can only come to him by losing your pride and self-confidence. You might even, like a Pharisee, use your religion to strut your stuff and boast your superiority. But when God gets in his But when God gets you in his sights, like he does Nebuchadnezzar, here, you will lose all that. All must come to God the same way by saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Saul, the great intellectual, had to be blinded so that he pleaded, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the tough Philippian jailer had to be brought to his knees by an earthquake so that he asked, What must I do to be saved? And the only way to approach the living God is from the lowest place of all. Christ only saves such people, for he came to call sinners, not the righteous or the self sufficient. God overrules. God will bring everyone to an end of himself or herself and then on judgment day the proudest need or that proudest knee will bow the most defiant in tongue will confess so will yours the question is what will happen now already at the foot of the cross or will it happen after it's too late for your own salvation if God can humble Nebuchadnezzar he can also humble you. I plead with you to, for the sake of God's glory and for your own salvation. Humble yourself now in the sight of God. The press conference or the press relief or the release prepared by Nebuchadnezzar. Think of it. Nebuchadnezzar, a writer of scripture, has a glorious start and an overruling message. It is a press release that will trump every other and silence and undo every human press release that contradicts its degree. For this matter is by demand of the Holy One, so that the living may know that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men according to His will. He rules you too according to His will. If your blindness and hardness of heart is left to yourself, you need him too for you, what he did for Nebuchadnezzar. Aim the opening slavos of his divine cannon's barge at the proud, 
hard heart until blow after blow finally breaks it. And if he has already done this, praise him for his sovereign grace as well for his long-suffering in your life and pray that this long-suffering would be salvation of many others here among us and around the world. Tremble at his word, people who have heard the power of him, who mid been, greatest throne has taken, let the earth be shaken.'"